Mickey Mike, Mickey Mike, Mickey Mike. You are now tuned in to the Mind Wanderers podcast, the podcast where we wander and explore the world around us. I'm your host Timmy, and this is episode 15. 15. are back thank you for joining me for another episode of the mind wanderers podcast if you are a first time listener welcome fellow mind wanderer this is a podcast where i take random topics themes and ideas and do a bit of research on them and try to explain it to you guys as best as possible i'm your host timmy and I just want to find out how's everyone dealing with the quarantine situation, with the lockdown situation. I know my fellow UK people, we are now in this limbo period where we don't know what we're meant to be doing. Our prime minister is giving us mixed signals saying we should go out, but don't go out, but stay in if we want to go out, but don't go out if we can stay in. (laughs) Just making it really confusing for everyone. But to me, it kind of feels like everyone is saying we're done. We're finished with lockdown. We're tired of being on uh, voluntary house arrest. We're going outside again. And I can't for the life of me understand why people don't un- like why people don't understand that viruses do not stop because you're tired. But at the same time, you don't want to be an alarmist. So everyone do whatever you're doing and hopefully you stay safe. But in the news, this has now become a real big point of conflict between experts, politicians, scientists, because now they're trying to finally balance the, okay, keep everyone on lockdown to avoid the second wave. But at the same time, we know we need to restart our economy. So this is really, really big at the moment. And the reason why it's big is because you have experts on one side who are arguing about the mental health aspect of keeping people locked down for an extensive period of time there's some people saying that this might end up being depression for individuals it might increase anxiety Um, we're hearing reports of increased domestic violence and the mental illness that can follow trauma of um, domestic violence so it is really something that politicians are really trying to weigh up at the moment but with that being said uh this week that just went by was mental health awareness week i don't know about you but i always thought it was mental health awareness day i don't remember it being a week but anyway i was listening to the radio this week and apparently it is mental health awareness week and that just made me think about the documentary if you've heard the past couple episodes you would have heard me mention the mike um sorry yeah michael jordan documentary and going through his life and going through his time with the bulls but there was one really big point i always wanted to really delve into which was his mental health following all the paparazzi and all the media attention and being a global icon and some of the documentary deals with that and kind of delves into it but from that that led me to start wondering about when did we actually start to realize about mental health when was that 
period that we started to understand that there are things such as mental illnesses and there's possibly ways to treat them is it a recent phenomenon or have we been studying this for years or decades or centuries so i thought for today's episode in honor of mental health awareness week that i was gonna do a brief overview of the history of how we got to mental health awareness within our society but then also touch upon the future of mental health treatment and i've seen some studies into a couple of things such as like vr and um, automated treatment so there's some really cool stuff there and then lastly i was going to have a chat about the self-care industry and how that has emerged into a 10 billion dollar industry over the past five to ten years and what that actually means for people and just have a little wonder around the topic of self-care itself so that's what we're going to deal with in today's episode and so after this little interlude we shall proceed So there I am watching the MJ documentary and I see all these cameras and all these lights in his face and all I can't help but think about is how is he keeping his sanity with all these cameras in his face and how is he keeping everything together, playing all these basketball matches. But as I was watching, I couldn't help but wonder, like, because this is Mental Health Awareness Week, maybe that's why it's more on my mind and that's why I'm thinking about MJ's mental health. But at the same time, 10 years ago, I would not have been thinking about, oh, he has too many cameras in his face. I'll probably be more interested in what he's doing on the field or whatnot. So with that being said, um, the question popped into my head how well when was the time I realized that I'm aware of mental health because I remember being younger like most of us when I was younger I kind of dismissed it if someone says they're depressed it was more kind of a joke and I'm not saying I was perfect not saying anyone else is perfect but at the same time it was just a case of when people used to say they were depressed or they had anxiety back in the day like let's say 10 years ago it wasn't treated the same way it was treated now and I feel like in the past four to five years there's been a real big like push to get mental health into the forefront of everyone's head so a question that popped into my head and I was just thinking about this it was um when was the first time I realized or acknowledged mental health stuff like depression stuff like anxiety um people going through um traumatic situations and I started to wonder and I I ended up on a memory I had back in like uni. I had a friend and her dad was a teacher and she was telling me about her dad and that he was a teacher, a really good one. And um, he used to teach disabled kids, special needs kids. And um, one day I believe one of the kids uh, was really, really strong and pulled his arm out of his like shoulder socket. And that put him out of, teaching for at least a good six to eight months and following that he began to get depression and the reason why that made me like really really realize how um depression works or how stuff like anxiety works is because that was a physical injury he had it wasn't a case of it was a head trauma or anything particularly happened to him it was just a case of he couldn't work anymore and that left him in a depressed state and so that question in my mind 
of when was the first time I realized or acknowledged mental health for what it was that was that was it for me because I started to see how that started affecting his um, relationship with his daughter my um my friend uh, it was uh kind of eye-opening it was uh something that I just started to think about and it'll be really interesting but do you ever think about when the first time you really started to acknowledge mental health for what it was not a case of maybe dismissing it or kind of just jumping on the bandwagon but actually acknowledging what people go through effectively so that was my wonder of the week the question being that when was the first time i really acknowledged mental health bearing in mind it is mental health awareness week so moving on from that my mind shifted i started to wonder about a bit more i started to think about questions that could be good for this episode and so one of the questions that i started to delve into was when did humanity as a society start to attempt to understand mental health what was the first recorded incident that we can see when humanity was like okay how are we going to deal with people that obviously show a sign of mental illness so as i start wondering i also start doing some research and my research took me back to a time way distant in the past flashback <laughs> okay so my research took me back seven thousand years ago to a period called the neolithic period um neolithic being the final stages of like the stone age and i think that is uh, if I can remember correctly Stone Age is when people stopped going to like hunt and just roaming around and when we decided that you know what fuck it we're just gonna stay in one place and we're gonna make wheat or some shit like that and everyone's just like you know that's a good idea maybe we don't have to run around and chase foxes and hunt all the time how about we just did I say foxes what were people hunting like boars and pigs why would why would people be chasing foxes yeah, that's, that doesn't really sound too smart. Anyway, so I was doing some research and I realised that it was actually 7,000 years ago where humans started to uh, experiment or start to notice stuff like mental health and become mentally aware, if you want to call it that. What they would do would, if they saw anyone who had head trauma or head swelling or maybe were showing signs of not acting normal within society what they would do would it's very grim it's something called trephination Tre yeah trephination and what trephination is it's like uh it's kind of grim but what they do is that they actually rip open your scalp then they cut like either a round or square hole of the bone around like your brain take it out cover it back up and then put like the skin back on top and what they believed that was doing was essentially releasing like evil spirits and the reason why that method was so widely used was because back 7,000 years ago obviously before science what would happen is when people don't know how to when people don't understand something the first thing they go to is probably the supernatural. So they used to believe that if someone was showing signs of being mentally ill, this was 
a case of them being possessed by a demon or a, a vengeful god or whatever it may be but it was normally supernatural as we all know back in the day they didn't they what did they know <laughs> so yeah so that's what they used to do so when humans first began to experiment with mental health and become mentally aware it was seven thousand years ago when we decided to stop chasing animals and actually decide to be a community and that makes me start to wonder do may maybe we started to notice people were mentally ill when we stopped moving around because that is when we became a society so we could form social norms i don't know maybe uh, i wonder about that but yeah so this is what um back seven thousand years ago people used to think about mental health everything was supernatural it was a case of a vengeful god um it said hebrews had a belief that mental illness was a punishment from god for committing sin and demonic possessions were also believed to be part of god's wrath <sighs> most of the time when god is being mentioned it's kind of harsh <laughs> so moving on from that we go to around the years wait 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 the spongebob time lapse three thousand years later <laughs> okay so moving on we're now around uh four five bc and we have a greek doctor called hippocrates or h-man as i now want to call him h-man because saying hippocrates all the time is quite long so h-man came up with four different he said you know what i don't want to believe in supernatural forces or anyone come like a demon he said he believes that the reason why people are mentally ill is down to the fact that uh, there's like bodily substances that are imbalanced in our body and he believed that maybe it was chemical not chemical but there was a biological factor to his uh reasoning for people being mentally ill and around that period that was the prevailing thought so he shifted it away from the oh someone's possessed by a demon even though that was still widely believed in some circles let's not forget they were still burning witches not too long ago so yeah so <laughs> around 4 or 5 bc he started to move on to um saying there's like more of a medical influence in terms of people being mentally ill and so what that moved on to showing is that humans then started to study ourselves more to a degree so keeping on track with when did humans become mentally aware so humans started off thinking it was a supernatural being or it was a demon and then we moved on to the biological aspect we haven't necessarily landed on a brain yet but if you follow me and h-man i will show you how h-man led us further into discovering or being mentally aware okay so time shifted people start thinking that mental illness was because of a supernatural force and they started to believe that it had something to do with the body so around 400 bc in comes h-man hippocrates oh sorry ipad dropped uh give me one sec yep so we now have the greek doctor h-man also known as hippocrates and he comes in he's also known as the father of western medicine that is a really big title and hopefully what i'm going to read is going to live up to that but hippocrates also known as h-man is the father of western medicine according to wikipedia but um what he discovered or what he tried to explain was 
the first real attempt to link emotions and the way people act with the way our body is. So the first connection between the mind and the body, if you want to think about it. And what he, what his explanation for his idea was these four substances that our body is made of that will also control our mind. And he called these things humors, spelled H-U-M-O-R-S. And humors being like substances that humans consist of. And what H-Man believed was in order to have a healthy life, you needed a balance of all four of these humors. So one of the humors was blood. And he explained that being related to air because back in ancient Greece times, they loved elemental properties, air, wind, fire, all of that stuff, all of that nice stuff. So he said the first thing was blood. The next thing was something called yellow bile. He related that to fire. The next thing was black bile, which was related to earth. Hmm, questionable. <laughs> then he also had phlegm so the things that we spit out or like you see footballers always like, <laughs> so he explained those four humors as being responsible for why people might end up being mentally ill or why they might act upset or why they might act a certain way so a couple he had a couple students and he had a student called Galen and just for comedic purposes I'm going to call him G-Man and what <laughs> what G-Man explained was he essentially evolved H-Man's <laughs> G-Vov evolved H-Man's sorry yes he evolved Hippocrates idea of humans being made up of these su substances and he came up with names for if you have an imbalance or too much of one certain humor so humor um the four humors being blood yellow bile black bile and phlegm and if you had too much blood he said those sorts of people they're very confident they're joyful optimistic expressive sociable something no one can really be right now because we're all stuck inside so that's kind of annoying moving on g-man also said if you have too much yellow bile the one that i said is related to fire he said people in this category are very passionate and they're people that maybe have temperament issues or get angry very quickly and moving on you have the people who are very, very sensitive, so the people that are called snowflakes in this era, or oh, <laughs> uh, he said, if you have too much black bile, that you're going to be someone in this category. And lastly, for people who had too much phlegm, he strangely said, this makes people deeper thinkers, fairer, calm, willing to compensate and hard workers. That is very weird. Yeah, I don't, don't really agree with that. But that is the first shift away from supernatural causation for why people will be mentally ill and this is what h-man and g-man came up with during the four five no 400 bc so that was another transition for humanity in terms of understanding ment mental health and mental illness within our bodies 
I don't know about you guys, but I find stuff like that really cool. I like going back, doing some research and finding out how we got to a certain point in time. So how we got to where we are now and going through the history books. So thank you to H-Man and G-Man, Hippocrates and Galen. Now, the next big shift in humanity's thinking towards mental health and mental illness came in the early 1900s with a wanderer by the name of Sigmund Freud. Sigmund Freud believed that instead of looking at mental illness as a result of maybe you have too much of a certain chemical, he started to look at deeper more insightful experiences such as trauma when someone was really young or going through a really traumatic experience and this revolutionized the way people started to look at mental health and it really began the age of having a patient and a therapist and that's uh relationship you have with a therapist that people have i haven't done therapy myself but i do talk to my family quite often which does count as therapy but if you do need therapy or want therapy i have heard very good things about it so if you feel like that is something you want to do definitely go for it but with Sigmund Freud, we moved away from, remember we started off with supernatural causes, people cutting open heads. Next, we moved to somatogenic theories by H-Man and G-Man, where they came up with ideas of having too much of a certain substance. With Freud, we now really got to the end of the matter and started to look at our mind and really start to understand what mental health and mental and being mentally aware is okay so the history lesson is now over the next wonder i want to go into is the future of mental health and mental health treatment i started doing some research down that line and i went down the rabbit hole and i found some really cool stuff so i thought it would be really good for me to bring it and kind of introduce you guys to the future and what you may see in hospitals and maybe rehab centers very soon in terms of the future and what tech is going to take us to the next level of mental health awareness or being mentally aware but yeah after the break that's what i'm going to go into Do you guys remember when HTC came out with that VR headset and everyone was shouting like, oh my God, that's going to be the most awesome thing ever, dude. Like we're going to put on VR headsets and we're just going to kind of like do stuff in like VR. And everyone got really excited and <laughs> nothing came of it. Now VR is making its way into the mental health scene and I saw a really cool video from the University of Oxford Department of Psychiatry and there was a professor there by the name of Professor Daniel Freeman. What they've now started to look into is how we can deal with mental health problems such as phobias because now we know phobias can actually be classed as a mental health disorder. So what the Department of Psychiatry is actually looking into is using VR. So I'm just going to play you a little snippet of what Professor Freeman said, and then I'm going to further elaborate on his findings. And yeah, I'll just listen to what he has to say. It's kind of really cool. The best 
psychological treatment. Why do I think that? Well, fundamentally, because I think mental health problems are inseparable from the environment, which is exactly what Kath has been saying. If you have a fear of public speaking, it's being in front of an audience. If you have a fear of heights, it's walking near heights. If it's alcohol, it's resisting those cravings around it. If claustrophobia, it's about being tight and closed spaces are difficult. You know when you've overcome a problem, when you think, feel and behave differently in those situations that used to trouble them. And that's where VR comes in. Because you can put on a headset and enter these troubling situations. And the beauty is, if, because you know it's not real, you can try things differently, and the learning you make transfers out into the real world. So later on in the presentation, Professor Freeman starts to explain that Using this technique, he was able to help 60% of people in a controlled study with a fear of heights and an AI assistant. So maybe in the future, they might start using VR headsets, taking them home and VR can be part of your mental health self-care kit if you want to look at it like that and if you have problems speaking in a large crowd you can buy a VR headset and now you're speaking within a large crowd without the fear of it actually being real life it seems kind of scary to me but you know technology is always moving so we have to go with the time so let's not get too freaked out but it also reminds me of Black Mirror episodes where we're going into this virtual world and who knows people might prefer that world compared to reality and then there's a mesh of reality and the real world and no one really knows what's going on and but yeah i digress so another really interesting development within the med uh, mental health space is the emerging use of telehealth services i listen to podcasts quite a lot and telehealth services have been actively marketing on radio trying to get people to use on-demand therapists so what you do is you download an app if you want to speak to a licensed therapist what you do is you just find the therapist you make an on-demand meeting you don't have to sit in a waiting room you don't have to go anywhere you don't have to do any awkward meetings and they're always trying to promote themselves and the reason why i wanted to bring this up as a big factor when it comes to the future of mental health is there wasn't that ability to actually talk face to face with someone via FaceTime or via the app and actually discuss your problems as you can now with stuff like Zoom, with stuff like, uh, I can't remember, yeah, FaceTime, WhatsApp chat and all of these new technologies. We're now able to speak to a therapist at whim if we really, really want to. So that is another big um, development in the mental health space. The last one is the more intriguing one, which is called passive symptom tracking and that name is kind of nah, i don't really like the name because with coronavirus now and symptoms it's <laughs> it's too close to home but with this technology what we're now able to do is using devices such as our fitbit such as our phones such as whatever it may be that's able to tell us about our body in real time there's studies going out uh, and with the research I saw from the University of Oxford, the Department of Psychiatry, there was another guy who was explaining this and he goes into some detail as to if you can get real-time information or real-time feedback as to what your body is doing, you will be able to make predictions as to if 
uh, the way you're living at the moment is more likely going to lead to depression or is more likely to lead anxiety in a certain situation because we have other stuff such as has anyone heard of an aura ring an aura ring is a ring you wear and it monitors like your sleep patterns and it tells you if you slept well and there's a lot of new technology out there and especially with coronavirus now i'm pretty sure there's new technologies being developed as we speak to monitor certain body symptoms so it's another form of data to collection so <laughs> everything we're doing right now is really really being monitored to a degree that we don't even realize if our phone can tell us what we're doing at certain times and we have devices on our body that can tell us how we're feeling at certain times put those two things together and who knows i, I don't really want to go into that territory <laughs> So lastly, I wanted to have a wonder about the phrase self-care and what self-care means and what society is turning self-care into. The reason why I was thinking about this is when you think of mental health and because this is today, I'm recording today, so what, 24th of May? Yeah, so today is the last day of Mental Health Awareness Week. And self-care is a big word that is being used throughout or like on the radio, on certain websites, you see the word self-care a lot because it's a buzzword when used in the context of mental health. So what is self-care for those of you that don't know? I don't really know myself, so I had to search this out. So self-care is defined as any activity that we do deliberately in order to take care of our mental, emotional and physical health. And how did we get to this term? Where did this term come from? I was checking on, tw uh, not Twitter, I was checking on Instagram today and self-care has 28.4 million posts just on Instagram alone. That is a crazy amount of posts. And it's because self-care has become a real big buzzword now. It became prominent when I was doing research, it became prominent back in the 1960s and it was recommended as a form of treatment for people suffering from the effects of war or first responders who tend to see a lot of very uh, traumatic situations. Uh, they're the people who are first when someone has an accident. So you can just imagine what sort of type of crazy stuff they see. And so in the 1960s, uh, self-care was recommended to a lot of people. And it really took on a new meaning during the civil rights movements and when black activists or the black panther movement started to use this phrase within the 1970s as a way of telling fellow activists to stay strong during the repeated injuries of systemic racism and systemic um, oppression in fact one of the better known phrases for self-care was given by activist audrey lauder in her 1988 book uh, burst of life she described self-care as Caring for myself is not self-indulgence. It is self-preservation and that is an act of political warfare. That is a pretty strong definition and probably the reason why it became so popular when she wrote her book. But the definition didn't really take off in modern times until about 2016. The reason why I say 2016 is because it was just after the US presidential election of 2016 that self-care had the most amount of searches on Google. The week between the 13th and 17th of November in 2016, so many people were freaked out by the fact Donald Trump had won the election that 
self-care became one of the it hit its peak in terms of number of searches on google but then i start to wonder what really is self-care anymore if you look at how self-care is promoted how self-care is used by organizations you could make the argument that self-care is losing its real meaning in terms of looking after someone's mental health and someone's mental and someone being mentally aware because we are all mentally aware now i feel as though companies are and individuals like celebrities are able to really profit off this idea of self-care because self-care doesn't have a very strict definition self-care could range from you doing a meditation or you having a quiet walk to you having to buy a box set of luxury nail varnish and this isn't to criticize anyone it's just something I was wondering about as to how self-care the term has been made a commodity of some sorts if you guys understand where I'm coming from because if you're able to tap into people knowing that they have to be mentally healthy and if I sell you x y and z that will make sure you are doing self-care and you are making sure you are keeping yourself on top of your mental health but not really you're just being incentivized to buy more and more and I did some research self-care has or it's not called self-care it's called the wellness economy and I'm saying wellness with quotation marks because now the wellness economy is worth a staggering 4.5 trillion dollars that's crazy 4.5 trillion dollars on something that's meant to be a public good if you want to look at it like that of people being mentally healthy but it goes to show that with anything even self-care can turn into a commodity and I feel like that's a really good conversation I should have with someone who maybe runs a wellness center and how they balance profit and actually helping an individual because it's very easy to sell people on the idea that if you buy this luxury uh, duvet set this is going to be a form of self-care and then you have people paying stupid amounts for stupid items that they actually don't need but because they're being told to look after their mental health they now have to buy all these extravagant items all these uh, unnecessary bath soaps not that I have anything against people that use bath soaps or crystals or anything like that but it is a conversation to be had so hopefully one day I'll get someone who runs a wellness center and have that discussion as to are we practicing self-care or buying into self-care if that makes sense I feel like some people are being definitely brought into self-care through the fact that we are all being we're all becoming wiser to the fact that we have to look after our mental health but it doesn't stop us being prey to predators who are gonna use that anxiety or use that fact that we're now aware to sell us these items because but then at the end of the day I think that's just a cynic in me and maybe I should just see it as people are doing the right thing because you have influencers that might not really care about the well-being of their followers or you could have a drug company who that's also another thing that I researched and found out drug companies around uh, uh, I believe the 80s discovered stuff like Valium and all these different opiates that 
can distort the way someone's mental health is and the way someone reacts to the world. That's why we have this opiate, I don't know if you guys have heard of the opiate crisis in America that is still raging on because a lot of people use these mood defining drugs because a lot of people, there's been a, a rise in the amount of people reporting depression because people are becoming more aware of it. With this, that becomes a, a predator, a prey market for predators to come in and sell you something that can make you feel better or make you feel better about the world around you. So self care is a very, it's a weird, it's a weird thing for me because when I look into it, it is something very positive. But with the amount of money it's generating, it's making me feel something more darker is going on there. And not to say that everyone who's promoting self-care has a dark side to them. There are plenty of people out there who are honest people trying to help everyone. But at the same time, we have to look at what is really going on around us. But that's just a mind wanderer in me. So don't really listen to me. I'm just someone who thinks about dumb stuff all the time. Right. Well, I think that's it from me and my wonder into mental health. I hope you enjoyed that. And I hope some really good conversations can be sparked from what you've listened in this episode. If you have a story of when you know or started to acknowledge mental health and mental illness, please send them in. I think it would be really cool to share some stories about that. And if you, feel free to message me on Twitter at mind underscore wanderers or on Instagram at MW podcast. If you want to reach me, you can also reach me on email mindwanderers_pod at gmail.com. So hope you guys enjoy your bank holiday Monday. Make sure you keep wondering. I will see you in two weeks. Who knows what will go on? I think I've just seen some news that Dominic Cummings has broken the rules for the lockdown. So that is not looking too good. I predict that's going to, that's going to, yeah that's not gonna go down too well for Boris Johnson but yeah once again thank you very much for listening to the Mind Wanderers podcast I'm your host Timmy Chatelou this is episode 15 and keep wandering